Welcome to Vino Week, episode 27, brought to you by Vino 101. All right, welcome to Vino Week. I'm Bill. Hello, everybody. It's Al. Welcome back. We've got lots to talk about, as usual, again, Bill. Yeah. <laughs> never, I mean, never a shortage. Never a shortage of uh, wine talk, yes. So uh, we have another blockbuster uh, buyout. Yeah, you know one. You know one could say the guard is changing. Yeah, yeah, we got one company uh, getting out of the business. Well, and <laughs> I, I mean, look at the other transactions with the um, who is it that bought a you know sold their stakes in Napa and moved to Oregon. Um, I can't remember, um, but earlier in the year, <clears throat> uh, wasn't it Jay? Didn't uh, no Jay? So, well, yeah, Jay sold all their stuff over here in Sonoma. Yeah, and um, then bought did, some stuff in Napa, and then bought also up in Oregon. That's what I'm thinking of. Yeah, so yeah, I mean everybody's moving to Oregon because the land's cheaper and you know it's more business friendly. Right, but this is a big transaction in a fairly old vineyard um, and an old established brand, right? Yeah, Shalom's been around for a while. The you know originally planted in 1918. Yeah, nineteen nineteen. Yeah. Sorry, and it, it's pretty remote. But um, yeah. all they grow up there, I believe, is maybe it's not. They grow predominantly Chardonnay and Pinot Noir. I was going to say it's Pinot, and, and Chardonnay. I and I think they have some uh, some a small plots of Chenin Blanc or something yeah. like that. Yeah, but, back in the day, they made a lot of Chenin Blanc. Yeah, that was everyone had that. Um, but this guy, uh, this is a big company too, right? Yeah, th- this was bought yeah, from. Now, they bought it from. Uh, uh, so, Richard Graff, right? Well, no, he doesn't own it. He didn't own it anymore. But he sold it to Diageo, right? And then did Diageo. Diageo sold it to Treasury? Yeah, well, Diageo. It's kind of a weird thing. It's like uh, it, there was a whole bunch of brands tied to that deal. So the Shalom Group was actually uh, they had brands like Acacia. Um, God, what else did they? They had a, a bunch of different brands, and their hub was in Napa. But I guess what happened is they had so many brands, and and they couldn't keep track of it. They just couldn't sell all the stuff that they had. You know, <laughs> the, the company got kind of diluted. We have too much wine. Yeah, well, it's just all the labels. And, uh, you know, the, the quality of the wine, because they started making so much of it, it, it became, you know, for lack of a better term, it became a lesser wine. And it just kind of well, got lost. Yeah. It was an older label, and it just got lost in the shuffle with all the other wines that they had. So, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of been just kind of just percolating along. But uh, Bill Foley, he's ready to, you know, he's ready to rock and roll, man. He says he likes, he likes the brand. He likes what they stand for. He likes the location. He's looking for. Um, he's looking to take it on and uh, add it to his portfolio. Now he's got all kinds of stuff. I mean, he's he's a big uh, a big wig in the wine business. Uh, he's got places in. Um, I mean, he has Firestone, uh, Coletto, which is Coletto's right there on the kind of in Petaluma, right? Yep. He's got Lencourt owns Chalk Hill. Uh, Sebastiani, that's a pretty big operation. So, uh, and I, and I believe he's got some, some properties, uh, 
let's see here. It's got some places in New Zealand. Uh, it's got wineries in Washington. So he's kind of like the new the new Kendall Jackson. <laughs> Guys, yeah. he's buying stuff up like crazy. I guess I, he I'm, knows some people. I think he knows some people in the banking world. What do you say? Yes. He's with yes. Fidelity National Information Services. Okay. FIS. He probably knows a few um, bankers. Yeah. Um, fine Wisconsin boy. Yeah, man. And, uh, you know, that's a good little stake of property, man. 240 acres of vines. Yeah. That's nothing to sneeze at. But, you know, it's interesting. Foley, having his experience in Sonoma County, definitely knows what to do with a good Pinot, right? Oh, yeah. yeah. And so there are enough models that, you know, you have those vineyards and that brand already established. You're, I mean, if you can't make money off that stuff with a little focus, you're, you deserve to go under. Yeah, yeah, he's they're they're gonna do all right. It'll be really good for the company actually, and, and they'll probably get you know back online and and uh, things will turn out really well there. So it's just another case of uh, you know I it's just been a lot of shuffling going on in the wine business, and um, you know Diageo just wants to get out of the wine business for whatever reason, and uh, there's there's plenty of people that want to get get back on. Now the last um, to dovetail with that, um, probably one of the most famous, uh, how do you say, uh, buyouts was uh, the Mondavi buyout uh, years and years ago. And there's a nice article by Dorothy Dorothy Gator. She writes for the Grape Collective, and she talks about uh, the title of it's really good. It says Michael Mondavi on the painful lessons from his famous father, and. Uh, we were talking about this a little bit earlier. I guess uh, Bob was a little hard on the kids. Yeah, he wanted them to. He wanted them to really. Uh, he pounded it into them. You know, you do this, you do that. The guy bit. When I read that article, a couple of things that I saw in there were like, man, just made me kind of like cringe. <laughs> um, how about this line? Some of the most painful reading was Robert's caustic put downs of Michael. Oof. He often leveled these criticisms in front of employees and distributors. Ouch. Yeah, that's 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 pretty rough when you you getting dressed down by your dad in front of your peers. That's uh, wow. That's uh, that's pretty demoralizing. Yes, one could say in the old school way, character building. <laughs> yes, exactly. Forged. Yes, <laughs> forged is a better word. That's true. That's such a better word. But you know, these guys are really, uh, you know, it's interesting. You know, if you read the article, he talks about how he is with his family. And I mean, he's, you know, it's one of those things. I can I can relate to it. It's like um, if something happens to you and, and you know, and it, and it causes you some type of pain or some, some type of stress, you know, when you have a family, typically you don't want to put your kids through that type of stress so you kind of overcompensate in the other way an example for me would be uh when i was growing up you know i played a bunch of sports but my dad was always working so my mom wasn't interested in coming in my games my dad couldn't because he was always working so i overcompensated when i was when, when my son was growing up and i never missed any of his games yeah, yeah. <laughs> with all of them sure so it's it's kind of the same thing. I mean, what what he's doing is he talks about his relationship with his with his kids and how he's you know the exact opposite. But these guys have uh, done pretty well. 
um, <laughs> to say the least. <laughs> they've they've done all right considering all the stuff that they've gone through. They've well, got and 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 more to the point, not necessarily resting on their laurels. Yeah. No, they've, you know, they've, that, they've, that 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 company continued to grow and blossom after, um, you know, Madavi Senior was gone. So, yeah, um, and even though they're not they're not part of the the winery, the original winery, they've all gone out and, and they've built their own wineries and their own wine businesses, and they're doing quite well. So, um, uh, kudos, more power, more power to them. Kudos to the Madavis. Here, here. So uh, yeah, that's a pretty that's a that's a really really good article. And if anyone, if you've ever, um, I haven't read the book. Have you read the uh, the Mandavi story? I mean, I see it all the time. It's like a it's always on the shelf at the bookstore, but I've never taken the time to read it. But it is it's a modern day trad tragedy, you know, of uh, you know they got it going on and then they uh, went the corporate way and then they got just all crushed by the corporation. <laughs> not not the not the best way to. Ouch. Yeah. That's an ouchie. Stamped. <laughs> so uh, you want to talk about uh, uh, how uh, the taste is changing up here in the North Coast? Sure. Tim Carl. Sure. I, I guess Tim Carl's going to – he's a new columnist for the North Bay Business Journal. Yeah, and I don't – you know. It's, it, there's some great one-liners in here. <laughs> Yeah, there are. I mean, it makes me giggle. Um, watching a six-year-old man smoke pot and call me dude was disconcerting. And even more disconcerting to him that the man knew the word tawar. Yeah. And under, <laughs> kind of understood what it meant. It started breaking it down for him. Yeah. So um, what, what the article is about is uh, is it's about how um, – you know, for the most part, I guess this is in, in Napa Valley. We're talking about Napa Valley, how it's a monoculture and how these this monoculture or this idea of monoculture is going to change. Because we do have this crazy, crazy craft beer explosion going on. And I've seen it already just driving around. You're starting to see all these hop, these these uh, places that are, um, what do you call it? A, what do you call a hop? Is it an orchard or what is no it? Idea. I have no idea. <laughs> I don't know, but you're starting to see hops grown just about, you know, kind of everywhere. Yeah. And uh, uh, he talks about hops being grown in the valley and also about um, medicinal marijuana being grown in the valley. Right. And the idea that maybe wine is, is big now, but at some point, you know, we're going to have all of these other um, – consumer-driven things that people want to have that are also going to be part of the agricultural terrain um, in the valleys here. And I think it's a, it's, a pretty, uh, it's a pretty compact article, and it's a, it's a worthy read for sure. Yeah, I think, you know, so these articles are interesting to me because, I mean, one of the things that, um, you know, would be worthy to reference in an article like this is that at least in Sonoma County, at least a third of the economy is still agriculture-based, and it isn't all wine. I think something like 26% of the agricultural land here is dedicated to to um to vineyards and the, you know the rest of its other farm i think a big chunk of its dairy or cattle or you know some type of livestock and of course there's still apples around here and i mean you know if you go back in history this used to be the world's the world's hop production region it, it was um, indeed yep and you know it moved it migrated north and eventually offshore and with the resurgence of craft brewing you know, there are, you know, 
that the word craft is pretty, you know, it's a capital C, right? So it's like if I can control my supply chain, you know, um, in total, you know, so I can get wheat, I can get hops, um, and everything else I need to make the beer that's from here, I'm going to have a more premium product and I can market that brand and I can make more money effectively. So, um, and I think anybody who, um, is paying attention, you know, the marijuana business is, there's a good chance it's going to be legal recreationally in California. I mean, Gavin Newsom's behind this in 2016. So like there's Getty money behind it. Um, and there are similar characteristics in the way that, you know, stoners talk about their weed. Yeah. That people talk about uh, wine. So, I, you know, it's not that big of a stretch to um, – and some of the wine tastings have been too out. I, you know, there's whispers in the hallway about this kind of stuff, especially when we go to the Taste of Mendocino. Um, the last one I went to was pretty enlightening. Um, but uh, there's a lot of people ready for that. So, yeah, it's changing. Um, you know, all the all, um, the baby boomers are, are truly in power. Yeah, man, they're just like, uh, <laughs> and they're and and they're all getting ready to retire. And remember, this is a sex, love, rock and roll generation, so they're ready to let it all hang out again. Yeah, and you don't want to have. I mean, this uh, the Super Bowl. You know, I mean, I was thinking about watch the Super Bowl and all the ads. There was a significant number of ads. Uh, I don't remember any drug ads, but one of the ads I remember distinctly it was for. It was for something to help people that were using synthetic drugs to avoid constipation. <laughs> and I thought I thought it was Sorry, the, it was the really oddest tough. commercial, but what, yeah, what dawned sure. on me is that there's probably so many people that are prescribed opiates and that's yeah. one of the side effects. Yeah. Yeah, there was a yeah. That that's an ad that was legit. I was like, okay, right. there's something. There's to an help article. Out. In the, there was an article in the Press Democrat, so that's a local paper here where we live. Um, used to be a New York Times publication, so it's fairly reputable. Hey, their uh, the research that they had done um, had it said something like one quarter of all of the uh, residents, adult residents of Sonoma County, have been prescribed. Or are currently prescribed an opiate of some sort. Man, wow, that is right. That's staggering to think about that. Um, that's all pharmaceutical grade heroin. Yeah, <laughs> I mean to put it bluntly, that's what it is. <laughs> it's pretty stupefying. So you know, there you go. But anyway, I hopefully you know, people are reading that label and it says don't operate any machinery. <laughs> Well, if you read the paper, there are some that don't pay attention. My gosh. You know, those That's are the, the people that drive through people's homes. That is that is the good stuff. So uh, what should we tackle next here? We got a variety <laughs> a, of things. Yeah, there's some good uh, – we can um, – so we can roll right into another yeah, another topic of conversation. So why aren't there more black Americans making wine? So it's a vine pair. Is this a blog? I'm not familiar with this. Yeah, it's a, it's a blog. They do videos, articles. They got apps. They got all kinds of cool stuff. And uh, they're really uh, – they're always posting. I mean <laughs> they've got stuff coming up all the time. So it's, uh, it's pretty good. Uh, the article is actually pretty detailed. 
Yeah. Um, I really appreciate when people include sort of the statistics around, you know, so they're talking about the, uh, they have some data, let's say about wine consumption. So 25% of African Americans drink wine as opposed to 34% of their wine, their white counterparts. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, 12% more African Americans, 12% more likely to shop for wine online. I, that kind of, you know, that kind of makes sense. I heard a UC Berkeley professor talking about, um, uh, uh, talking about public spaces and how some of them are more welcoming to different racial and demographic makes up, makeup, uh, than others. And, and uh-huh. typically, Wine is not a place that you associate with African Americans or African American consumers, so you could, you know, she would label that as sort of a white space. And that twelve percent statistic makes a lot of sense when you think about it in that context. You know, I'm less likely to go into wine shop, but I feel completely fine buying it online. Yeah, yeah, that that makes sense in a traditional uh-huh. way. Well, the article is about two ladies or um, two half sisters. Yep, uh, Andrea and Robin McBride. And the McBride sisters, <laughs> yeah, the McBride sisters. They're um, they're biracial, biracial, excuse me, and uh, they have um, an African American father, and both of their mothers are Carca- Caucasian, and somehow they didn't even know about each other, but they found each other because um, one was in uh, foster care in New Zealand, and um, somehow they found each other, and they found out they had a lot of similarities and liked to do a lot of simple things a lot of the same things and they ended up starting a wine company and Which uh is pretty i mean that that whole story is sort of like unbelievable in some context <laughs> it really is right the thing where they it's like, like somebody wrote it in hollywood yeah yeah they like the same food they have the same taste and, and they started and a wine business and became successful <laughs> no see it's true it can be done anyway it's good stuff yeah it is it really i is. love these stories so they're i mean it's a great story and they started out they started out like importing wines yeah, and then eventually they, you know, they kind of decided, well, Hey, let's try and making it on our own. And, uh, they talk about all the things that they ran into because obviously, you know, you, you got to know some bankers and, you know, you need to talk about the prejudice that they ran into stereotypes. They ran into try to get money. Yeah. And just going, going back to the, the, the topic, it says, why aren't there more black Americans making wine? You know, I would say, you know, I mean, probably one of the reasons would be, I mean, if you think, if you look back and you think about the history of, you know, blacks in America, I mean, they were used basically, you know, to do all the agricultural work and build, you know, and build stuff. And, you know, once they weren't doing it anymore, I I would think, you know, it's like, shoot, why would I want to go out there and do that now? I mean, that's got to be part of it, right? Yeah. I also think there's just a um I think this is true in America and not necessarily true in um um in Europe or less so in Europe. But you know like I really don't know the data, but you know there's there's a uh an economic component to all of this too. Um you know when you're you know you're living below the poverty line, you're not spending money on things like wine. That's true. That's true. You know, yeah, and no, and there are a lot of people that do, and and there you know wine wine is somewhat like a language. It's it's you know so you you have to have somebody who's going to help you access it to you know to I think 
you know, at least that's my experience. I mean, you could go get wine and, you know, you know, can you imagine somebody's ever bought a bottle of wine just walking into a store and trying to figure out what to buy? Yeah, it's you know, so I mean, I'm trying to illustrate the point that, you know, I and so like, how did I know that stuff? Well, my parents exposed me to some of that stuff to start with, um, you know, and then, you know, my own sort of adventures. But, I, you know, I think there's a point that you um, that you get access to these things that are, you know, either brought about by your circle of friends or by your family. Um, and I think there are just people that it gets excluded to based on the, the amount of income. I'm not saying that's right or wrong, but, you know, there's a whole host of factors there yeah i was support i was never exposed to to alcohol at all my parents they were they were teetotalers and they would they would have alcohol in the house but it was only when like uh family was coming over or friends were coming over to stay the night they would buy stuff for them and it was just like oh they like to have this so they'd go to the store and get stuff for them but they never imbibed so you know i had to i learned just being in the restaurant business you know waiting tables that's kind of how i got the got the bug yeah but it's it's true if if you're not if you're not exposed to it by your parents or by another you know there were other things my parents didn't expose me to that my friends parents did you know that you know going over going over to somebody's house and everybody's having wine and you never had that in your home yeah you know that that could spark the curiosity one of the things you mentioned to be really interesting is you know african americans you know did a lot of the yeah agricultural you know labor grunt work um yep. and hispanics do that a lot today right i mean you know you're you know we've talked about the the uh vineyard manager who's never seen some you know white suburban kid show up asking for a job um yeah i would be you know it's interesting to see what their you know what their what the penetration of wine would be into that demographic well, I can tell you this, when you go to a winery now, I mean, when I first moved out here, you know, it was, it was pretty uncommon for, to have a Hispanic working in the winery. It was, it was mainly all Caucasian people that worked in the winery itself. Yeah, like in the product, like making wine and in the, yeah, in, in the, the production the, side like of it. it. I mean, right. it was, you might, you might see somebody like in the shipping area or like in the bottling, yeah. bottling yeah. area, but. But not they were in definitely actual, like field people, right? I mean, they were yeah, not the craft thing. But now, yeah. when you go, it's a, it's that's exactly. not the case. I yeah. mean, it's it's, it's yeah. really well integrated now. Yep, yep. Well, and then you have stories like what's it, Cieja, um, winery, C-E- oh, Seja, yeah, Seja. Yeah. You know, that's a they. You know, the patriarch of that family. He was a you know he started out working in a vineyard. Like yeah, in the uh, like in the vineyard. <laughs> I mean, not, literally. you know, yeah, literally. Like you know, cutting, you know, harvesting grapes, trimming vines, you know, up at five in the morning, you know. And that's that's no easy job, man. I know I've said this before. That's that's some pretty. It's, it's real serious work. work. That's real work. That's real. That's that's not sitting behind your box at the desk. No, <laughs> no and it's in, and you know, you're in the, you're at the vestiges of the weather. In those business, in those jobs, you know, yep, if outside, it's if it's and- you know it's thirty five, you know everybody has their pain in terms of their weather. But you know if you're in it every day, getting up in the winter in the thirties or you know low forties in fog, in rain, going to take care of those plants, it gets 
you know, you're doing that 10, 20 years, man. That's, that's some hard work. Cheers. Cheers. I won't go into that story about my one, I won't do it again about my one winter helping out in the vineyard pruning. That <laughs> <laughs> was brutal. You know what? Those experience, like how great of an experience was that though in, in, in retrospect, right? Well, in retrospect, it was good. During the time, it didn't seem like it was that great. Oh, no, it was just pain. It's just suffering. So it's, it's pretty humiliating when a like a guy that's like about thirty five or forty years your senior is dusting you. Yeah, it <laughs> just is moving through yeah. the vineyard. Yeah, and and you, like you, it's inexplicable to you. How is this possible? These people How could are this super, be? They're superhuman. <laughs> Yeah, so. you're driving along the road, and it looks like everybody's just kind of like hanging out there, having a good time. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah so not so much. Yeah, yup. <laughs> so I can't remember. There was some movie where there were tourists in in like wine country here, and they they signed up for some wine tour, and they ended up on a on a crew harvesting grapes. And uh, I can't remember what movie that was, but man, it was funny. Yeah, it's not. It's it's it not was as funny. glamorous. They were like sunburnt, you know, yeah. crippled. It, it's, it's not as glamorous as you think. <laughs> I mean, the people that they're yeah, farmers. Hats off, they're yeah, hats farmers. off to people that are in business. Exactly. It's it's agriculture, man. It's it's farming. It's, it's pretty. Tough. It's hard work, and it's tw- and it's like twenty four seven physical labor. It is not for the faint of heart. Yeah, I could see why, you know, if, if you were like uh, your parents did it or something, I could see why people like sell the farm and are like, ah, oh, no, I'm not, I'm yeah. not doing that. Yep. Yep. I mean, you know, the, the, smart, the smart ones I learned learn how to lease their land. <laughs> there you go. That's, That's I met a farmer, like third or fourth generation farmer in Silicon Valley as we're driving by these office buildings. And he's going, yeah, that's my family's land. We leased it to this company that built the building. And I'm thinking, go. wow, those are the people that really made the money. Yeah, that's how you yeah. do it. Yep. Yeah. yeah. They, as to quote my dad, they ain't making any more earth. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's it. Good investment. The colonel knows. Yeah, he does. Indeed, he does. <laughs> So, hey, let's talk about the Italian financial police and their find. Oh, yeah. They're, they're out. The financial police. I love that part. Love the financial police. 9,200 9, bottles of fake Moyen Chandon Imperial Brut. $380,000 retail. <laughs> and made, a, they had made labels for another four hundred forty thousand and potential one point nine million dollars worth of Moyen Chandon. Al and I were talking before, and as I said, somebody had a really good wedding. Yeah, they had a good wedding. Uh, the, uh, the professional lab- labeling machine. Um, you know, I, I love the details. Eight people arrested in the operation. Several of them have criminal records. You think? <laughs> what <do> I mean? <laughs> What? Yeah. How do you get involved in that without having yeah. a criminal record? And criminal. the capper on this article is <laughs> they no, took a, that, well, I two. have one more thing to say. The yeah. follow up. Yes. No word yet on whether charges will be filed. Yeah, that no, <laughs> unclear whether charges will be filed. What? And they're not destroying the fake champagne. Keeping it hey it's, Who it's, throws away fake champagne, man? Let's have a party. Just saying. 
It was that is awesome. the foam away was cheap wine from nearby Prosecco. They're keeping it, man. They're not. They're going to keep it. and They're going to use it. They're not. There's they're, a movie in here. Yeah, there's no way. Now you know if that happened in the states, it'd be like you know <laughs> we gotta destroy the evidence and blah blah blah. People be charges would be filed. Italians are practical, yeah. man. They you know, they are. Know, why they should are. we throw this wine away? They are, and you know, I wonder if they have armed treasury agents like we do <laughs> to kick the door down. Well, kudos to the Guardia di Finanza. See, <laughs> they did a they did a great job. Bravo. They did a great job. Those uniforms, it's worth it to just go and and look at the picture of the uniforms that they have. (laughs) Yeah. Very official with the black tie and the white shirt. Yes. And you you mean business. Very much so. Very much so. But that that happens a lot. Unfortunately, it happens a lot in Italy because, um, you know, Italian products sell and they're well made and, you know, there's going to be lots of knockoffs. It doesn't just happen in the wine industry. It happens in the cheese and the. <laughs> anyway, anywhere where there's excess product from one region that can be relabeled and sold for more money, that it comes from another region, it will happen in Italy. That that, uh, that olive oil. Uh, yes, the olive the, oil. The, the olive oil minutes. thing that they had on sixty minutes, man. Minutes. It's, it's heck of scary. Yeah. Hey, like, you know what? Buy. There's plenty of olive oil around. You can probably get it local. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. I might go local now. McAvoy. <laughs> <laughs> probably no vegetable oil in McAvoy. It's probably olive oil. Just saying. Unbelievable. It's a little more expensive. They sell at Costco. Um, so Decanter did an article on the top wineries to visit Napa Valley, sort of a uh, Super Bowl. I know we're past the Super Bowl, but um, it's always a good, you know, it's always good to get people's take on where to go. Hey, real quick, Bill. Yeah. Yeah, I know you watch the Super Bowl, so I'm not going to ask you that silly question. But what was Cam Newton thinking at the end of the game when when he fumbled the ball? What was he thinking when that ball was on the ground and he was the closest person to it? Why was he I, just looking at it? I I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. What's going on there, man? I <laughs> weird. No, so like from that point on, his behavior. Basically, it's just weird. I mean, the press yeah. conference was, you know, who was oh. that person? Yeah, that was that was really bizarre, man. That was that almost like, is this that a, a Cam or Newton. something or what? What's going on yeah. here, man? That was, and I, you know, I can't imagine it's the first time the guys are lost. I mean, you're gonna look, you know, yeah. Come on, you played all these years. You've lost games before, right? Yeah, and so look, yeah, you lost a big game. Yeah, I mean, it's gonna happen, though. But, you know, we're all going to – we get judged in life based on how we respond to failure, um, not necessarily all of our successes in that in that, in that that construct. So, yes, yeah. you know, your I would life say is that based on your victories. But, I mean, ultimately a lot of it's based on how you respond to that failure. Well, sure. I mean probably some of your, um, your greatest uh, – your, your best athletes as far as uh, dealing with uh, – I, I, I was let's see what's the best way to put it. I say um, winning a championship is probably sweeter for people that have lost a lot of championships. <laughs> it's probably you know yeah. you're probably better at it for losing. So anyway, I was uh, sorry about that. <laughs> no, I it was I you know I remember I you know I watched that more than once right that replay and it yeah. it 
it's one of those things that you see and you're like, did that really, I mean, it's unbelievable at some level. I mean, given the context of the game and where they were at in the game. They were ready to win the game. They they were in it. I mean, it was just. Weird. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, having vapor lock at that moment is not good. No, no, man. <laughs> not good at all. <laughs> you know, it also leads, I mean, it's all kinds of, you know, you can start slipping in all kinds of uh, conspiracy and controversy theories there. You know, that's that's where I was going. You know, I mean, did he deliberately not pick it up? Because there was, you know, he was there's more money. I mean, who knows? That's 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 kind of where I was going. It was it was very odd, man. Really a a, a surreal moment. And then the the press conference with the short, terse, one word, uh, two word answers. Yeah, we got outplayed. It's like wow, man. With no with no. Uh, no props, you know. I mean, typically you want the standard, you know, you just want the standard stuff. Hey, those guys, they came out, they played, they handed this to us. You know, we got to tip our hat to them. They did a great job. They're the champs. None of that. <laughs> it's like, just what? Yeah. You, guys, you can't be serious. It's like, Cam, man, you're not in high school. Yeah. It's not a high like, school game. <laughs> he's the MVP of the league, man. He just got voted to be the MVP most I, that, that, of the league. I, I think that was the – that was the most shocking thing to me. I mean, the guy is, you know, uh, you know. I think when you get to reach that type of success, you don't get to do things like that. Yeah, man. There's a code, dude. He definitely broke it. And I there's don't a care. lot of goodwill. I mean, yeah. everyone loves. Here's the here's the thing in a nutshell. Okay, you're winning all these games. You know, you got the dap. You're, you know, you got the towel. You know, you're. You're going into the end zone. You're handing footballs to kids. I mean, that's all good, man. That's you great. You got your brand you know? going. Good for you. That, that's good. That's I'm like I'm all absolutely all in. I know a lot of people probably rubbed them the wrong way. You know, guys a little brash. I'm like, hey, man, that's awesome. But, but, but you know, when you lose, man, you gotta like you gotta give props to the team that beat you. You do. You do. And you know what? You should you you lose gracefully, man. Yeah. Because you know everybody's gonna remember him for that episode. Even if he wins now, yeah, that's uh, that's uh, that's you, know, com- that's a, you, you that's can't erase that. Yeah, it's a permanent mark. Versus, had he exited gracefully, come back next year, bang up year, win the Super Bowl next year, maybe he doesn't win it for another two or three years. But now it's always going to be compared to this episode, no matter what he does. Yeah, that's going to so, be hard. That's going to be like that. That's the old uh, out damn spot. He's not going to ever be able to get that. <laughs> Hawks, yeah, yeah. Tide's not taking that out, man. That's Greg Reese is in there. Um, so, uh, well, uh, sorry, sorry about the. Uh, the no, but and, and quite frankly, I, you know, I, I I had some, you know, we we both work in San Francisco, at least you know, or around, we're around that, you know, last week. Oh this, boy, the the run up, right? And. Yeah. You know, you kind of expect some kind of football game, but honestly, it was two defenses beating up. You know, it was basically two defenses attacking an offense. Yeah, you yeah. Know, it's it very rare that defense can win a football game like that, but you know, clearly for the Broncos, I mean, that's that's what it was all about. I mean, they they were yeah, they were not to be denied. They were, uh, but you know what really um, what really uh, drove the point home 
was I think there was maybe like uh, I want to say there was four or five minutes left and Denver had the ball and it was like third down third and nine and I remember I was in a room a group of people and they're all Panther fans and I said well <laughs> oh. Here's the defining moment right here. Is he going to throw it or is he going to hand it off? And he just They just had two run plays. And I go, oh, man, he's got to throw this play. He's got to throw. Sure enough, man, he hands the ball off. They get like two yards or something. It's like that shows you that he was just following the game plan, man. He goes, as long as I don't mess it up, I'll hand the ball over to the defense and they're going to win this game. And that's what happened. They're going to win this game for us. Unbelievable. So where were we, Bill? Let's get back to wine. <laughs> let's well let's wrap up. Let's wrap up with our uh um it's that time of year where the world's number one beer rolls out. Oh Pliny, man. Pliny the Younger. The Pliny man. I drove by there the other day, man. And, oh. and so it was ten hours this year. So here's the deal. If you're in if you're in the area, if you're in Santa Rosa and you want to get some of that younger, what you got to do is you got to go late. Yes. There's a little tip for everybody. Yes. They stop pouring, I think, at 11. So if, if you're, you know, if, if you could just stay up, just get down there around 9 and you can yep. get in real quick. Yep. Um, if- they run out quickly. So um, the other thing I'll tell you is that our local watering hole here, Hot Monk, Founded by Dean Biersch of Gordon Biersch. Great um, stuff. Yeah. Um, they uh, they get a, like a they get some allotment. Now, oh, typically, today. yeah, typically <clears throat> they release it today, Fat Tuesday. I did not know that. Yeah. However, um, so if you want to know all this stuff, follow Hot Monks of Bastopol on their Facebook page. Um, okay. They haven't said when they're going to – they said there was some reason they couldn't get it right on Fat Tuesday. They said they're going to have some stay tuned. So if you don't want to um, you know, bear the lines at Russian River, you know, you might check the Hot Monk page to see if they have it. Is it worth it? I've had it. I've had it every year for like the last five years. Um, it does change every year. It is a pretty amazing – beer it's a triple hop ipa um it doesn't taste anything like um you would think a you know 10 what is it 10.1 or 10.2 percent beer would taste um it's kind of fun to participate in the the spectacle of it all because it's become this international thing so if you're in the area i you know we uh i work downtown santa rosa so we used to work fairly closely at brewery we would go at like a four o'clock towards the end of its run. And yeah. I think the longest I ever waited is like 40 minutes. Oh, that's not too bad. No. And that, so like, I'm, you know, I was like in for happy hour kind of thing. Well, I've been jo- enjoying a lot of uh, brews lately. Um, I had a really good brew by a uh, poor Sorry. brewing company. They're uh, Hop 15, which is a triple. Triple IPA, huh? Oh, my gosh. Was hot. What a, what a really what a fantastic beer. And Terry, she has she's like a little she's she's a beer gal. Yeah, I've, Mary I've, Beth has become a beer gal. I've, I've kind of I've kind of discovered. Yeah, she she's like, well, when are we gonna open that one up? You know, what is Terry like? 
she she likes she likes the hoppy beers, man. Yeah, she likes the ales. Yeah, she does. Good and stuff. um, so we um, you know, hey, there's a new shop that's uh, just opened up in Santa Rosa. It's at uh, Willoughby's, right? Yeah, yeah. You been there? No, I haven't. But I've heard their advertisements. They, I mean, they've been advertising pretty heavily on the radio station, the local radio station. I yeah, I went in there. Um, I went in there the other day. The, the, the wine buyer is is on point, man. Some really good stuff in there. I, I oh, mean, cool. I won't go into the details, but there's some good stuff. But they've got a wall. I mean, a very, very long wall of refrigerated beer and ciders. Yeah. Now I heard they have a tap room in there. You can go in and try stuff. Yeah, yeah, they got uh, uh, tap room. I, They've got, uh, shoot, I don't know, probably 15, 20 things on tap. So, yeah, it's a, it's a pretty... <laughs> hit uh, them up for an ad now. Yeah, exactly. There we go. <laughs> we guys. gave them a free ad. First one's free. <laughs> Plug we'll them. send you a bill. <laughs> you know, I haven't seen any... Um, they, I mean, the, the wine buyer did a good job. I mean, they got some... Uh, they got. I'm going back there because there's some stuff that I haven't seen in a while. It's like, oh, my God, I can't believe they have that. I got to come back. I got to try that. So, uh, but anyway, that's off the that's off the topic. So, um, have you had any decent? Uh, what have you been drinking as far as wine and beer these days? Um, you know, n- nothing really new or interesting on the wine front. I'm trying to think on the beer front if there's anything that um, that's like I I had some wine even younger the other day, which was pretty good. Younger or, or elder? The younger. That's the one they just released. Oh no, no, I'm sorry. The elder, the elder is what I had. Gotcha. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. Hey, look, anytime you can, honestly, anytime you can get a Pliny. If you're ever in the Santa Rosa area, like go, just go have a Pliny the Elder at the brew pub. It's do it. It it's really good beer. It's really really good. Um, don't drink many of them though. <laughs> well, I think you can only There's something have, in that uh, beer, man. Yeah, I think you can only you can only have three, and they're half pints. They're not. Yeah, the younger the younger you can only have three. Yeah, and I think you can only be in there three hours. Yeah, they're not. It's, they're not. It's full seriously pint. that it's that packed, and the place is pretty small. There's also an article in the paper this week about them expanding. They're looking for a place to expand their brew pub. Um, you couldn't you couldn't drink three pints of that and and be in any condition to you know, operate any type of vehicle. So, you know what it would, it, you would, it would, it would not be enjoyable then. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, no, I can't, you know, one of the IPAs that, that I've had that I think is really awesome and, um, you know, is in a, you know, not comparable to, but in a class in terms of the, it, it's craftness. That's a word, um, is heretic, um, IPA. Or heroin IPA, you know, as in like hero, hero from uh, 101 North Brewing in Petaluma. I think oh, okay. Petaluma. It's a really awesome IPA. It's really good. Um, I'm where trying I to get, think. Where do I get some of that? Uh, you know, Oliver's around here sells it. Um, okay. I don't know. I think our local supermarkets might sell it. I think I've seen it in San Francisco recently. Okay. All right. It was, uh, yeah, it's 101 North Brewing. And I think they're, are those guys next to, uh, they might be next to, 
Oh, I think that's Petaluma Hills Brewing. It's across the street from uh, Lagunitas. Lagunitas. Oh, okay, gotcha. But heroin, but heroin's pretty hot. I mean, it's seven two. Um, Lagunitas, the the beer farm there. Yeah. <laughs> that place is just insane. Unbelievable. So, um, and to think those guys partnered with Heineken. Yeah, uh, it's all it, well. It's all for distribution. Um, yeah, I mean that. Well, it's you know, about getting in the channel. Yeah, if you, I mean, if you, you know, the Heine, you know, part of Heineken's story is they figured out how to export their beer and make yeah. it taste the same everywhere. You know, they pasteurize it, and do all that kind of stuff. But not, I mean, nonetheless, they know how to they know how to scale. So, and they've been doing it a long time. They have been. I mean, Heineken was. Like I mean, two, I was two, a, when I was a kid. That was a big beer. Yeah. <laughs> Still yeah. beer. I mean, I still remember those commercials. Let's have a Heineken, or I think I'll have a Heineken, or whatever. You know, yeah. it's like okay. So hey, how about you? Any recommendations on? Better- well, you know, I got a, I got at least one here. Um, this is a little off the wall. You know, I got to try some different stuff for you guys. Got to keep you on your toes. Uh, this is a Riesling. It's a 2012 Boundary Breaks Vineyard. Riesling, and uh, it's it's their Ovid line North bottling. Comes in a typical Riesling bottle, uh, nice green bottle, the elongated. It's uh, Finger Lakes region of New York. It's on the east side of uh, Seneca Lake, uh, and known known for their Rieslings. Yep, yep. So these people, all they make is Riesling. Riesling. They don't yeah. do anything else. Yep. They got. Uh, over a hundred acres of uh, property. I don't think all of it's planted to Riesling, but this particular bottling, I'll go into some some boring stuff here. It's a couple of clones of uh, Geisenheim, one ten and two thirty nine. It's hand harvested at twenty one bricks. It's fermented completely in stainless steel. Uh, the residual sugar on it is uh, one point seven percent. The alcohol is ten point six percent. And it's aged in stainless steel for six months. They made about 575 cases. You can go on the website right now and you can buy some of this for 20 bucks a bottle. Wow, that's great. Yeah. Uh, about the wine, um, it's got a shy nose. I mean, I don't really get a whole bunch of a, out of the nose. And it's it's predominantly leasy. And what I mean by that is, you know, typically when they make wine, when the wine ferments, um, the dead yeast fall to the bottom of the tank, and it's called lees. Yes, the lees. And if you leave the wine on those lees for an extended period of time, you get some some really good characteristics, some winemakers think. And that's what I get. I get that kind of just it, – it has a kind of a little bit of a leesy nose, so I mean that in a positive way. But where it really struts its stuff is on the palate. Uh, juicy white peach. Um, we used to call them uh, when I was growing. We called them snowballs. You know, it's white peaches. Yes. <laughs> and um, um. yeah, it's uh, it's snowball peaches and pear. Uh, it's off dry, um, and it's got that characteristic lemon lime, mm. that tongue tingling acidity that you get um, uh, that goes all the way through the finish. 
it's a real crowd pleaser. Yeah, it sounds really good. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and um, well, I just to tell you how good it is. Okay, so tonight, <laughs> I I we opened up some of it tonight, and I poured some. Uh, I poured some of my wife's one of her favorite reds. Yes, and uh, you know she's she had it, and then I and I poured a little bit of this for. Her. I said, "Well, you want to try this, you know? Also, you, you might like this." And she came back and gave me the red wine back and asked for more of the white. Wow! So uh, yeah, it's uh, you put this on the table and it's it's going to go and everyone's going to be happy. So that's my uh, that's my recommendation for whites. Um, you know what I tried um, uh, for for red? I got uh, you know keeping in the Zinfandel fame. Uh, I've I tried the Francis Ford Coppola. It's called a director's cut. One thirteen. I know. Nice play, huh? I just yeah, you know. But <laughs> hey, look, that's a smart thing to do. That's his thing. Yeah. Uh, Twenty thirteen. It it's the Dry Creek Valley Sonoma County Zen. And mm. no, it, listen. I mean, I you know I haven't had. I, I must confess, I haven't had any of Coppola's wines in a long time. And just knowing the type of wines that used to be made at their facility, really not my cup of tea. It was really good. Okay. <laughs> I, was, I was really impressed. I mean, it's kind of. Um, I don't he's know. Gotta have, he's got to have good, great people surrounding him. Yeah, I don't know that I would pay the thirty dollars. I think it was like thirty dollar bottle. I don't know if I would pay that for it, but it was. It was a really good bottle. Um, all that uh, kind of that kind of a lean. Not a, I shouldn't say lean, kind of be- between lean and between kind of uh, the big, bold, super flavorful, high alcohol ones. It's only 14.5% alcohol. So it's it's a real moderate, nuanced Zinfandel, hmm. if I could say that. Yeah. And uh, man, it's, it's good fruit right up front and uh, not a whole bunch of, uh, not a whole bunch of oak to, to knock you out. Just, I mean, it's it's kind of like a Zinfandel that you would get maybe like about twenty five or thirty years ago, when they when they were making them in that style. I really liked it, so I I would recommend that. And those are my uh, those are my two recommendations uh, for wine. That's what I got. Awesome. That's all I got. <laughs> all right. I, got. Well, I haven't really I haven't really had an opportunity to drink much wine lately. I've been kind of. Uh, Super busy at work and uh, been doing all kinds of weird stuff. Got the Super Bowl stuff with the car. You know how it goes, Bill. Life, man. Life happens. That's why we've been having a few beers here and there. Here, here. It's easy and individual serving sizes. Yeah. So we'll be uh, Bill and I will be headed out to the Gambero Rosso uh, later this week to uh, see if we can find some decent Italian wines to talk about. That will not be hard. <laughs> I think it's true. Pretty easy to do, yeah. Man, do you see the list yet? Have you seen the list of the? Um, I haven't. Man, yeah, I haven't got that old one. Get a chance. There's a couple new ones in there. Are going to be really good, especially up cool. north. So cool. All right. So anything else, Bill? No. Um, how to reach us? So you can always email us at info at vino101.net. Hit us up on the twitters, which is vino101.net. Um, like us on our fake post. Yeah, like us on our Facebook page and uh, tell a friend if you like. Please tell a friend. Let somebody know. All right, cheers for now. All right, everybody. Thanks so much for listening and uh, cheers.